with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis podcast. Thanks for checking in wherever you are in the world. Uh, Today, I'm excited for this conversation. We have Dr. Andrea Brownlow, newly minted doctor. Congratulations, doctor. Thank you. She is both a consulting and coaching psychologist and the founder of Berkeley Hall Associates, a small private practice dedicated to leadership development. Dr. Brownlow is also a part-time academic in the School of Psychology at the University of Sydney. She was awarded a university postgraduate scholarship in 2017 and completed her PhD at the University of Sydney in 2022 under the supervision of Dr. Michael Cavanaugh and Dr. Sean O'Connor and Dr. Helen Parker. So her thesis, or if you're in the United States, her dissertation is titled Measuring Adult Development and Exploring Its Relationship with Leadership, Parallel Journeys Through the Lens of Constructive Developmental Theory. Andrea also holds a Master of Science in Coaching Psychology and Bachelor of Science in Psychology with first-class honors from the University of Sydney and a Bachelor of Business in Organizational Studies from Queensland's University of Technology. Andrea and her husband, Mark, live in Sydney, Australia, and are parents to two very active and wonderful teenagers. Dr. Brownlow, thank you so much for being with us today. What else do listeners need to know about you? What else can you share? Well, first of all, Scott, thank you very much for inviting me on. Uh, I'm very honored, <laughs> having seen that your list of list of guests over the last how long is it since that you've been couple doing A couple years, this? yeah, a couple yeah. years now. Yeah, I feel very honored. 
So, look, I don't know. How long have you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> it goes way back. So, it goes way back. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if we go right back, I actually, my first first job was as an equestrian coach. So, in a lot of respects, I've come full circle. Wow. So, yes. So, instead of coaching people on horses, I just coach the people, not the horse bit now. So, <laughs> so that was that was my first career was equestrian coaching. And I trained in the UK and I didn't go to university until much later. Um, and that's when I, you know, having run my own business and that's where I, where I started out doing a business degree. And for me, you know, I, I did the sort of the plain vanilla, you know, accounting commerce pathway, mm. which was actually very dull, I've got to say. But I was working full-time and studying part-time. So, you know, I was quite enjoying the, the intellectual, you know, challenge. But about two-thirds of the way through the degree, I realized that I should actually be doing psychology. Mm. So, so that was sort of the, the bit where I started to get really interested in human behavior. So I finished off that business degree and started another one, again, part-time, so working full-time. And that's how I sort of got into this particular area was was you know, working in businesses, leading businesses, studying part-time, and then took a gap decade to have a couple of children, uh, working all the way. <laughs> a do. gap decade, I love that. A gap decade. <laughs> you know, I thought it might be a gap couple of years, but it was a gap, a gap decade after my honours. And so that's when I, you know, started my private practice and sort of started doing more on the coaching side of things, more on the development side of things. And so that's sort of how it, how it all started. Mm. Well, okay, a couple things on that. So I, I worked full time through every one of my degrees. So much right. respect without not not with children too. So right. much respect for for that <laughs> dimension of this whole of this whole endeavor that you've been undertaking. But then also, I don't know if they have this in Australia, but in the in the states, there's kind of pockets of equine leader development. Have you? Oh, have you seen no. this? Okay. No using horses as a yes. medium to get to elements of leader development and so there's wow. this pocket of people who okay. are now i'm sure you've heard of like equine therapy correct yes absolutely yes yes, yes. so it would be a you know an offshoot a little bit of that but i found myself gosh this must be 12 13 years ago mm -hmm. with a group of students at a facility and the a facilitator was was making connections between horses right. and and leader development. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> so I guess I'm, I'd be kind of qualified. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's something else I can do. <laughs> I think, here, now you heard it here first, everybody. What <laughs> we can do is take uh, the, the, the thinking of Robert Keegan and Bill Torbert, and we can <laughs> use the horse to determine an individual's mental complexity right the, the stage <laughs> of adult development that they're in maybe that's where where we will take this <laughs> i'm sure bob key gonna be fascinated <laughs> oh that's very funny <laughs> well okay so I, I was so excited when i heard i think i heard about your dissertation from deb helsing at minds at work and right. she said, hey, there is this person in Australia doing some really cool stuff. And really, that's why we're here today is to introduce listeners to some of what you've been working on for the last few years, which, I, again, I think is so absolutely wonderful. And, and maybe what we do is just start off with, 
just a general scope of your dissertation or your thesis. And then from there, maybe what are one or two findings that we can kind of pique listeners' interests with? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I think what what through that process really stood out for you that was interesting. So let's start with kind of that general scope of the project, because it's cool. It's very cool. Okay, cool. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, What I you know, I'd like to mention is is the PhD was the first time I'd actually ever been a full-time student. You know, that was just so exciting for me to to actually just have one thing to focus on. I mean, there was still obviously family as a priority, but in terms of a job, what I decided to do was, you know, rather than trying to do my PhD part-time, which you possibly did, I, I thought, you know what, I've done so much part-time study, I just want to be able to immerse myself in this project. And I'm so glad I did because as it was, it took me nearly five years. So still doing bits and pieces of work along the along the way, but really trying to focus on the PhD. And so I suppose in a way that was a, you know, it really gave me the time to it probably ended up being being bigger than I thought it was going to be, basically. <laughs> it kind of took on a life of its own. So I initially started out wanting to work on and measure that adult development. So one of my supervisors, and I think maybe in the in the states you call them advisors. So my primary advisor, Michael, had started work on a measure about a decade earlier, maybe not quite a decade. You know, hadn't really progressed with it, and he said, "Well, look, are you interested?" And I, I'd done a pilot project on it the year before when I was doing the coaching masters, coaching psychology masters, because Sydney University were you know pretty tough about letting people go on to do a PhD if they're prior research degree was you know a little bit too far back so because it was 10 years for me I needed to sort of prove that I could you know still do the research so I did a pilot project and again been introduced to adult development through the coaching psychology unit and so I was of course once I'd learned a little bit about adult development I was absolutely hooked that was it I decided uh, through the pilot project that I would actually make this measure of adult development the central part of my thesis so that was my intention. And then I got underway. Now, in Australia, we don't do any coursework with our PhDs. It's all research. Really? Yeah. yeah. Although it's slowly changing in the last probably 12 or 18 months, they've just sort of flipped that around and, and there's a little bit of coursework involved. But when I started mine in 2017, it was all purely research, which is the way it's been for a long, long time. So, so you don't have a lot of contact with other students. Pretty much, you know, you've got a free reign, which is good and bad. But one of the things that we used to do was once a week we go along to seminars um, and learn from the other the research students. And a lot of the clinical research students had to do a systematic review. Mm. And I didn't know a lot about systematic reviews. Of course, I knew what they were, but I had no idea of the process. And when I went to a couple of presentations, I thought, that's really cool. I might do that first before I you know, really start working on the measure. I didn't know it was going to take me about 18 months to do it. But it actually turned out to be, I think, one of the most interesting parts of the thesis from the point of view that I guess I was really curious about why there wasn't more research out there about adult development and leadership, that, that you know, understanding sort of the, the relevance of, of adult development. So I was quite, I guess, really what I set out to do was to try and work out, is there, you know, what kind of an evidence base is there? out there for the for the relationship between adult development and leadership 
So it took me 18 months all up. Now, I was a little bit slow because <laughs> it was a process of discovery. And of course, you know, my supervisor had never done a systematic review. And so I had to go through the whole process of, of learning. And that's kind of the fun part about doing a PhD. Fun and painful is that you actually have to, you know, work things out as you go along. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, I got really interested in this systematic review. And I think I started out with about three and a half thousand studies, papers. And I decided with my search criteria that I wanted to focus really on empirical studies. So not theoretical papers, they needed to be empirical studies. So anyway, to cut a long story short, it took a long time, but I think we got that down to about 70, 70 studies. So the systematic review takes takes up chapter two of the thesis. But for me, I think, and I'm working on actually trying to publish that at the moment. So I'm close, hopefully a couple of weeks off sending that away somewhere. So for me, I think that's been a really, it was a really useful way to start the PhD. And I think there's some really interesting findings in there. Well, and I have to imagine, Andrea, that this this landscape, I mean, it's a little bit confusing, especially when you start to jump in, because there's yes. even, even the terminology, ego development, mm-hmm. you've got yes. you've got people using all kinds of different mental complexity, stages of development, levels of development. I mean, that's right. what were some observations you had even as you got down to that 70? I mean, it's just interesting, right? Yes. I think, um, look, you kind of had to be brutal to, to get it down to the 70. And I started out with a lot more. And so I went through several iterations to kind of try and narrow it down. And even even when I did that, I still ended up with 70 really quite very different papers, very broad. So what I did was I I used set search terms to begin with. So mm. I think that helped to narrow it down a little bit. If I was going to do it again, I'd possibly use even more search terms. So, for example, ego development, which I didn't use. I use very specific search terms, and I think that did help. But, yes, I mean... <sighs> And this is why a systematic review takes such a long time, is you need to really read through each paper to see whether it does fit with your research questions. And, of course, some of them don't, and so they don't they don't stay in. But, yes, the, a lot of the language was quite confusing, and so you've got papers where you've got uh, where they're using um, Jane Lovinger's measure or Torbett's measure, yep. um, and then you've got other papers using the SOI, Keegan's measure, Again, you've got to make decisions about, you know, which papers are going to stay within that, you know, that final studies. But, yes, the terminology is quite confusing. There's meaning making <laughs> and there's, you know, like you say, mental complexity. And, um, yeah, so. <laughs> frames that in of mind. Is yes. yes, frames I of have mind. a list. That... Maybe maybe I can pull it up at, for the end of our conversation. But yes. the listeners have an appreciation of, of yes. what you sifted through. So what were some findings when you got down to the 70? What were some things that stood out for you there? I mean, as as opportunities? That's a really good question, Scott. So look, there were so many great things that came out of the review. And I guess at at the sort of the the high high level sort of end of things, I couldn't believe how few published studies there were that were looking at, you know, looking at adult development in the context of leadership. And I think all up, there's something like 40 dissertations included in that final, in the final 70 papers. So there's a lot of unseen research out there. That really surprised me. So, I mean, it's good and bad. It's great that the research is there. And once I got going, that was, 
I guess, was a, a driver for me in terms of, well, this is really worthwhile because I can make this research visible, you know, hopefully. So there was only something like, I think it was about 26 or 27 published papers that were really looking at adult development and, and leadership together. Hmm. And it's really, we're talking about 40 years of research. So that really surprised me a lot. But I think it also explains why, you know, it's a bit of a, I guess there's a little bit of a vicious circle in the sense that because a lot of that research is is unseen, other researchers don't know what's out there. They don't know what to build on. They, yep. they don't know what the base is. But there is an evidence base, and I think it's a pretty substantial evidence base that demonstrates how important adult development is to leadership. Yeah, and there's there's quite a diversity of studies too, I mean, in that systematic review. So there's studies that are looking at those sort of studies from the education sector, from sort of more corporate, professional areas. There's studies on sustainability and looking at really sort of quite advanced leaders who are very successful in the sustainability space. And the, and the leaders that are really effective are those leaders that are at much later stages of adult development. So there's a whole, you know, range of studies covering all sorts of all sorts of areas. Some of them were, I guess, detailed findings, probably around the fact that growth and development is a really slow process. It doesn't just happen in over after a three month leadership development program. Yeah, we're talking can take years. Now that's not to say that a a, a really effective twelve month leadership development program won't bring about change because there are a number of studies in the review, systematic review, that actually demonstrate that that does happen. But it tends to happen at lower levels of development, okay. earlier stages of development. So, for example, you know, using Keegan's framework, it's easier for a, a leader at, say, stage three to shift than somebody at stage four, for example. And that was a really consistent finding across all of the studies. It's much easier for leaders at, at earlier stages of de development to shift. Because, you know, when I think of just even, this is just from my own interest and, and interest mm -hmm. of listeners potentially, but when I think of at least the the little I've explored the space, and I have not explored the dissertations to the degree mm -hmm. any, any in any way, shape, or form that you have, mm -hmm. mostly just the published work. But it seems to me that Carl Kuhnert and his colleagues, oftentimes his students, yes. really has kind of the most... Absolutely. in the business space at least yes. and yes. then there's some from the center for creative leadership you know some but is there any other pocket that you found where you said wow this person you know in bangladesh is doing <laughs> there's a base here or, or was yeah. it just kind of scattershot all over sector yes. space no one really gaining any kind of consistent long-term traction is that accurate I, th I think it. I think it is accurate, Scott. And I wish there was a pocket, you know, like a really solid base out there. And and there's not. And I think. And, and I think that's largely because a lot of this research is unseen. It's invisible. Yes. Because it, because a lot of it's unpublished. So hopefully that's what the review will. I'm hoping that it will generate a little bit of interest and go. Oh, okay. You know, yes. I can build on this piece of research, or I could build on that piece of research, because that's one of the the critiques or the criticisms is that it's a very disparate body of research. I think 40 years, there's so little research published out there. I, mean, I think obviously Bill Torbett is another one. You know, he's done a lot of work in that space, but it really is, it's a core group of researchers that have produced 
this quite disparate body of research. And that's why I was so excited about your dissertation, because I believe wholeheartedly that this can become a base camp for people from which to then do their own exploration, because this work that you have pulled together, in my mind, will be a seminal piece of work moving forward for anyone who's passionate about the topic. And so I just have so much respect because pulling that together and doing, I mean, literally you were hunting and gathering. <laughs> yes, thanks, Scott. It was like that too. Fish, fishing, fishing. Have, yes, you were fishing. <laughs> I was fishing. So, I mean, I just have so much. So, okay. So that's a really interesting finding. So it, it may be more, it may be easier to help people you know, shift at earlier stages of development. Were there any mm -hmm. other findings that stood out for you as you kind of looked at what, what's been found so far? Well, I mean, the, the, the general agreement was is that adult development is very hard to measure. I mean, no surprises there, but consistently through all the research, everybody, and it didn't matter whether they'd use the SOI, you know, Bob Keegan's measure, or whether they'd use the sentence completion test, the general consensus was it's very difficult to measure adult development mm. and it requires, you know, even if you've done the, the certification process, it requires a high degree of expertise. It's very labour intensive. And with the, with the SOI, for example, I think, you know, you have to have two people scoring the interviews. So first you have to have the skill to be able to do the interviews and then you've got to have a couple of very good scorers. So the other end of my thesis or my dissertation, the sixth study that I did was actually a small study, a qualitative study. So it was eight SOIs with eight quite senior leaders. And so I was very fortunate in that I was able to have Nancy Pop's help, Dr. Nancy Pop. Oh, who, wow, good. Yeah. So so Nancy was my expert scorer. And I and the only reason I knew about Nancy was was through the systematic review. And I kept in all the acknowledgement sections of all these dissertations, I kept seeing Nancy Pop. And I thought, who is this person? Like, she sounds amazing. So I tracked her down. If I could get Nancy to, you know, to be my second scorer and to teach me some more about the SOI, that would be wonderful. And and I did. So that was a, a real highlight for me, was actually um, working with Nancy. And Nancy said, well, look, I can just score them for you. Or at the other end, you know, we can do some coaching. And I said, look, I'm all for the coaching because I really want to <laughs> I really want to hone my skills. So yeah, Nancy very thoroughly coached me on that. Andrea, <laughs> on how so okay, I'm gonna put a couple links to a podcast episode between Keith Eigel and Nancy Pop. She did a couple right. conversations with with Keith Eigel. So I'll put those in the show notes for listeners just so you can get a sense of who Nancy Pop is. And we've used the term SOI a couple times in the context of this yes. conversation for listeners. Subject object interview. It's it's the protocol for uh, assessing an individual's developmental stage according mm -hmm. to Keegan's model. And and as Andrea said, there's different, there's the, what is it, the Washington University Sentence Completion Test? Yes, that's it, Jane Lovinger's measure. Yes. Yes, yes. So there's a few different that are out there, but I will put some links in there. How close were you with Nancy's assessments? Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked me that, Scott. <laughs> Because so she's probably of one of the best in the world at this point, she right? She is. Yeah. She is the most expert of the experts. You know, she's <laughs> she was so Nancy was, you know, in on the SOI from day one. She's fantastic. She's so knowledgeable. I was pretty close with about half of them, or close, or 
you know, on the money with half of them. Now, we're not talking a big sample, thank goodness. It was only eight. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the the other four, I definitely scored them higher than Nancy. Huh. And I so it really demonstrated to me how important it is to have a second scorer who's an expert scorer. So I've done the certification process, and I've probably done about 40-odd SOIs. Yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with them. You really do need somebody else who, if you want to get a, an accurate assessment of someone's level of adult development, you really need to have an expert scorer. So, so the other four, mine were a bit high. Nancy very patiently schooled me and, yes. <laughs> and, and showed me how they weren't quite that high. So I think for me, because I'd done all the interviews as well, and because I knew the backgrounds of some of these leaders, I think I was really in the zone of assuming that they were at slightly later stages of development. I think mm. that's probably what influenced my scoring to a degree because all eight leaders were in really very senior roles and some of them managing billion-dollar budgets and we're talking very senior leaders. And so I almost had this sort of automatic assumption that, yes, they must be around that stage four mm. order of development. So that's quite an advanced stage of development. Of all of those eight interviewees, they were all at different stages. So, yeah, the most developmentally advanced leader was around five, stage four, and we had a leader who was actually below stage three, which really took me by surprise. Wow. So, so that was interesting. Well, and for listeners, I think something, and, and Andrea, please push back if you disagree with the statement I'm about to make, but, you know, the the, the thinking is that individuals at different levels of development will kind of construct the role of leader differently and yes. they enact their authority in different ways depending on how they're making sense of the world yes and carl kunert was at 88 1985 i forget what year it was andrea but he wrote a, an article about transformational leadership applying Keegan's work, Kunert and Lewis, I believe it was. Yes, yes, 87, I think. 87, yeah. okay, yes. that was somewhere in there. <laughs> I think, I think. We're geeking yeah. out right now. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, really kind of one of the first just beginning to hypothesize, well, how how would a leader at this stage kind of construct the role and make meaning of it? So that's interesting. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's quite fascinating because – and the other probably interesting part from that final study in the thesis was, was was the fact that these leaders that are that sort of stage three slash stage four, where they're operating from sort of two orders of development, they were quite stressed. And so that was quite an interesting finding. They were really quite in over their heads as Keegan's, that's the, obviously the name of Robert Keegan's second book, In Over Our yes. Heads. Now, these leaders were still moderately effective. They were still quite good at their jobs, but they had I think they really had to work very hard at being good at their jobs because they really didn't have that level of you know independent thinking that was yeah. required for them to be really effective. and so so there was quite a common theme with these leaders who weren't at that fully self-authoring stage of development. You know, they struggled with conflict. They you know had a desire to please their colleagues and their subordinates they were sort of quite keen for others approval you know they, mm. they were very really looking to, to meet other people's expectations rather than setting setting their own goals per se based on their experience and their and their and their knowledge so the confidence levels differed quite significantly between those leaders that sort of in that in the middle you know between 
stages three and four, and then those couple of leaders that were really around that stage four level. There was quite a difference in their their self-confidence mm. that really came through in the interviews too. So Andrea, and as we kind of begin to wind down our conversation, I have mm-hmm. one final area that I'd love to explore with you just to see what you found. When it comes to helping people kind of along that journey, were there pedagogical interventions, were there sources of learning that you came across in the literature? You know, again, that could be critical reflection. It could be, were there elements of programming that helped people begin the habits of mind or move along the process of development? Any any indicator of that in the studies that you explored? From the systematic review, there were a range of things that helped to really successfully sort of for people to grow. And it was things like, even things like experiential learning, so field mm. trips. So field trips that really caused people to sort of question their assumptions around things. But again, those the experiential learning needed to be followed up in the classroom with critical reflection, with support, and with a good holding environment. So that was another factor that came out of the systematic, another sort of finding that came out of the systematic review was that obviously holding environment makes a big difference to ongoing growth and development. And so a holding holding environment can be as simple as, so for somebody younger, it can be school, a school environment, or for an adult, it can be their organisation. And then there were quite a number of studies that were looking at coaching as a holding environment as well. Okay. And coaching was found to be, again, it comes through as being quite consistently effective at, at supporting people's development. And that came out of the final study as well with the eight leaders that I did. A consistent theme from them, and they had actually, they are in the process of doing a 12-month leadership development program, and coaching was a big component of that program. And that was consistently mentioned by each of the coachees in terms of being a, a significant factor for them in helping them to grow. And they felt that like they had changed to a certain extent. And then the measure that I developed in the middle part of the, the thesis, the four studies, did actually show that most of those leaders did grow to a degree. So coaching was found to be very effective. There was a Canadian study on a mindfulness program, a 12-month mindfulness program that was actually successful in producing some change, some developmental growth. I think they used a sentence completion test in that study from memory. Things like, so shared leadership, for example, promoting diversity and change in the organisation, shared decision-making, things like cross-cultural programs, internships, all those things that take people out of their comfort zone seem to really support growth and development. But again, those things in isolation don't necessarily work unless people have the support, say, you know, either back in the classroom or with a coach, for example. So so you need to provide that holding environment that not just challenges but also supports people as well. So it's about having that right balance of support and challenge. I yes. think it's a huge factor. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's really, really interesting. 
I'm Dave, who you have met. We're working on a paper right now, and and yes. I would love to send it to you to just to get your own thinking and perspective on right because we're very interested in that. You know, mm-hmm. Keegan and Leahy and Associates had written the book about uh, you know an everyone culture, deliberately yes. developmental organizations, and something we're interested in is how do you design deliberately developmental degrees where yes. again we can get people at least on the path of yes. you know the habits of mind that will provide them with opportunities for growth and development and so i think it's just a really interesting conversation if we if we agree with the general notion that leaders at elevated levels of mental complexity Mm-hmm. will be more successful generally speaking in yes tackling these very complex roles to your point mm-hmm. maybe if they're self-authored they'll experience less stress because they'll work out yes. of a place of their own principles and values and and That's right. then uh, how do we help people in that process how do we build yes. those habits of mind right and i think sometimes we've been talking about sometimes our degrees at least when it comes to the topic of leadership we put people in a room and we t- teach them the history yes that's right yes <laughs> but to not provide them with the tools to get on the path to be more yes. successful tackling these just really challenging roles right and i think that's where the experiential learning comes in too yes it's about going out there, going out into the field. Um, it, it's about, I guess it's about things like placements and short internships and exposure and it's mentoring. So coaching and mentoring was such a big thing. Even things like peer coaching, peer coaching can work really well in a classroom setting where, you know, you might have the, the budget to for everybody to have a <laughs> an executive coach, but peer coaching groups seem to work really well in terms of providing that level of support that's needed for growth Mm. as well, and also in terms of critical reflection. So the peer coaching works well as suits most budgets. Yes. And and longer term (laughs) and longer term programs. So, you know, you'd know too, Scott, that there's such a there's a really it's quite a strong correlation between education and stage of development. Mm. So education is a really important factor in in development. And again, with this measure that that forms the middle part of the thesis, and that was a consistent correlation as well. With the, I had samples of I think five hundred in five hundred in one study and three hundred in the other, and it was a consistent finding that there is a correlation, a positive correlation between level of education and development. So just education in itself is a key factor. I think mm. it seems to be. Again, I'm just so thankful for the work that you have done, and I know that it is going to impact so many scholars in so many really positive ways. And so I'm going to put a link to, I I believe we can put a link to the thesis, and I would love for that work to be known. And and I think it's just, again, I'm going to call it a base camp. It's just a (laughs) go-to space because as someone who's tried to begin to gather some of these pieces of work myself, wow, it's it's complex. So so there's that. So thank you. I always close out the conversation by asking guests what they've been listening to or reading or streaming. And it may have something to do with what we've just discussed. It may have nothing to do with what we've discussed. But what comes to mind for you? What's caught your attention in recent times? 
I've got to say, I haven't been reading very much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And this is completely off track. My son's in his final few weeks of high school. So, you know, that's a it's a really big deal. And what they do here is they finish at school and then they go away for about a month and they study and then they go back to school for their final exams. So due to finish officially in about November, but he's he's sort of been working and over the last month or two, he takes music for one of his subjects for high school. So I've been listening to a lot of really beautiful cello music. For me, it's just such a treat because I'm doing probably spending half my week working from home. So that's just such a treat to listen to that. You know, it's just an absolute joy. So so that's what I've been listening to a lot. And my son and daughter both play piano as well. So not quite leadership, not on the topic of leadership, but that's what I've been listening to and, and just loving and just, yeah, soaking it up. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We have a cellist in our house as well. Actually, two oh, of them. Oh, do you? it may be less enjoyable at 12 and 14 than what you're experiencing at 18 (laughs) oh it's worth persevering with scott it's just i can so remember when they were you know a lot younger my guys and just you know and everybody would say to me you're so lucky they practice and i'd say well no it's not luck i tell them they have to practice (laughs) it's worth it's worth doing we just Uh, said to them hey it's part of your education yes And now they love it. They do it for the joy of it, not because they have to. Well, and that's something they can do for life as well. Absolutely. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for stopping by today. I really, really appreciate it. And all kinds of links in the show notes for listeners for you to tap into. Even if you just want to learn some, some basics around adult development, we'll have some resources in the show notes for you. So check those out. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. Good luck as you work to publish this. That's a Thank whole you, new endeavor. It is. <laughs> That's one word for it. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's been oh. an absolute pleasure. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. What an absolute joy to speak with Dr. Andrea Brownlow and really kind of explore her work. Again, as I mentioned a couple times in the podcast episode, I just believe that this can be a very, very important piece of literature to help people understand the space, help people think about and think through their own research based on what her findings were. And so, Dr. Brownlow, thank you so much for the good work that you're doing. I do believe it's going to make a difference. The practical wisdom for me is do what you love, explore, investigate. And that is exactly what she has been up to for a good period of time now, if I remember correctly. Do what you love and be curious and explore. Everybody, I hope you have a great day. As you know, the ILA is coming up. There's some links in the show notes. And there's also another learning experience with the Prometheus Project to explore the immunity to change process through Minds at Work. Incredible work by Bob Keegan, Lisa Leahy, and Associates, Dev Helsing, Just well, well worth your time to explore. As always, take care, be well. Thanks for checking in and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect.
Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.